Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friend, welcome to this week's Upfront Moment. This week I am joined by Fiona Allen, poet, writer, performer and Bond 7 graduate. A regular on the Manchester Poetry Circuit, Fiona has been creating and performing poetry, fiction, theatre and personal essays for over 25 years. After having her son and subsequently becoming a single parent, she went on to rebuild herself and committed to a self-imposed 15-year writing apprenticeship when she bought a 1980s cadet caravan to write from, harnessing creativity as a means of escape. In this conversation, we talked about giving yourself permission to be creative, about finding stillness in our busy lives, about how important it is to look at the role we play in our domestic spaces. This idea of forming your own creativity committee to cheerlead you and help you make progress. And Fiona shares two of her poems, Blueprint of a House, about the moment she realised she had to separate from her new baby's father and Bringing Twigs, a poem she wrote whilst on benefits, scribbling sums on a notepad, trying to figure out how she was going to pay her bills. I hope you love this upfront moment. It has inspired me to write. It has inspired me to go and read poetry and I know it'll do the same for you. Hi Fiona, welcome to Upfront Moment. How are you today? I'm good. Hi Lauren, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to talk with you about all things poetry and creative expression. I would love us to start with your story. Like tell us who you are and yeah, about the about all about your work. So I am a poet and a writer. I feel like I've been a writer since I was born. Uh I just always had a story to communicate even when I couldn't write I would draw little pictures and my mum would I'd tell my mum the story and she would write the story down for me so yeah didn't acknowledge I was a writer till a lot later than that though uh but we'll get to that because that's about confidence I also co-run a charity here in Manchester and I'm a single mum I would say those are the three sort of major things about me but being a writer is definitely like a huge part of my identity. And poetry is such an intimate form of expression. Like talk to me about how you first found the confidence to share and yeah, share your work with the world. Poetry is like, it's a compulsion to me. So I feel like I can't not do it. It's kind of the way that my brain processes experiences mm-hmm. and life so I, I have to do it and it's a bit like when awful things happen it's a bit like a sausage machine like all this like like awful in your innards go in it and then out come these tasty sausages like I, I just feel like for me writing makes something really beautiful out of something difficult so it's I need to do it but sharing it was a whole different story so I, the compulsion was there to do it. And I did it for years without ever showing anyone anything or sharing anything. But sharing it, that was a that was the bigger journey of being a writer, I think. I think 
think a lot of people are secretly writers and poets. And so how, what was that journey? Like, where did you find the confidence? What pushed you onto the publish button in the end? I think I recognised before I had my son that I was actually living in a very small way. I was keeping it very small. I think I used to work in radio drama and a lot of my my job was about sort of highlighting other people and making other people shine. And I think just with that, I was just living very small. I wasn't, my dreams for myself weren't big enough. My expectations weren't big enough. And then having my son made me kind of go, he was one when COVID happened. I was freelance. So I suddenly had all this time and it just really hit me of like, God, this is now or never. So I just started, I I wrote every day. It was like, baby would nap, I would write. I just had so much to write. And then I was sort of rattling with, I just needed to share it. And then my partner and I separated and became a single parent. And there there was just an urgency. It just created an urgency in me. I think having a child, you're never the same person again. There's a kind of, there's a vulnerability, but there's also a power in it as well. And I didn't want to just be someone that lived through my son. I actually started to burst at the seams with, I just had to share it. There was, and the only way to share it for me was to to get on a stage and, and perform it, which was pretty terrifying. Tell us about that first time that you went on stage and performed. I mean, there's the before my son and after my son. I had performed previously and I'd had some really fun experiences of performing and I had a few drinks beforehand a bit of Dutch courage and I'd had some terrible experiences of performing as well I mean I remember performing a poem that was supposed to be quite funny and nobody like blinked at me and it was just mortifying but after that I think my poetry the the content of my poetry had changed I wasn't up for sharing just silly things I wanted to actually share what I'd learned where I'd been I wanted to reveal my scars and my cuts. And so I think standing on a stage doing that, the listener, the audience, they can recognise authenticity when they hear it and when they see it. And so Mm. immediately it was a completely different experience for me. I felt people connecting and that was just, there's not a feeling like it. When you are bearing your bones on stage and someone comes up after and puts their arm on you and goes, that is the story of my mother or that is that was my story it's beautiful to have that happen to you yeah it really is it's a very powerful adrenaline fueled moment isn't it and it just makes you feel so human you just it's what it's about isn't it you just have this connection with somebody else and you go oh gosh okay there's purpose in this isn't This doesn't just have to be for me because writing can feel self-indulgent sometimes. But if it's shared in the right way, then it can be helpful. Writing can help people and poetry particularly can help people. Yeah, stories can be medicine. I really believe that telling your story is a form of it's like gentle activism because your story can always help somebody else. Well, that's it. And I think... In terms of connection, there's activism in connecting with people. And so you mentioned briefly about having your son and splitting up with your partner. I know you've talked a lot about that kind of rebuild phase that happened 
after having your son becoming a single parent like talk to me about that how has that changed your work how has it changed your relationship with your confidence I think that's been the most dramatic shift in confidence I think I've always presented externally as very confident but I think inside I didn't I didn't actually have a great deal of confidence I think suddenly having to go it alone was the biggest shift for me in confidence because there was things that I just thought were totally impossible I thought for instance like I grew up in a household where there was a real scarcity of money and a kind of scarcity about like what you could what you had permission to have so it didn't ever occur to me. It was amazing to me that me and my ex bought a house in the first place. But when I realized I had to go it alone, these kind of impossible things, I started to go, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to buy that house. I'm going to, I started to kind of, there was a bravery. It was kind of like a fight in me that being a mom and then being a single parent like ignited in me. And so I started to, I just, I started to dream bigger because honestly, Lauren, I had really kept myself so, so tiny and so small and I'd kept all my stories and my poetry, which I'd amassed for years. I just, it was also secretive and I didn't want to be judged and I didn't want exposure and because it was so tied up in my identity. And then when I, I managed to buy my house, because I dreamt, I realized I could have a bigger salary. I realized I could ask for things. I would ask for things because it wasn't just about me anymore. It was about somebody else. And, you know, when you're a single person, you can you can do a house share. You can live on curry, a doll all week. It's not like that when you're a parent. I just had to do it for both of us, really. It was absolutely terrifying. But once you go, well, what are the boundaries here? Like, why can't I earn more? Why can't I get more value out of my work? I think it's about energy and I think people start to recognise that and then this opportunity start to come out of nowhere for you. That's how it felt. And you're on the hunt for your next opportunity. You're trying to find a publisher for your poetry collection. So talk to me about that journey because I know that trying to find a publisher can be a wild ride. You have highs and lows and some people find those confidence knocks and rejections really tough. So how are you navigating that I think initially the rejections used to cut very deep I think rejection does with most people and I started to have a different angle on it I think first of all it was about finding value in my own work and as soon as I was able to find kind of I believed that it was worth something I believed that it was good it doesn't it can't cut me as deep I get so many rejections. I have a spreadsheet. I keep a spreadsheet of all the rejections now. And I I actually love it. I'm like, oh, there's another one. There's a, you know, it's like a little collection. I think there's something very powerful about rejection. I just see it totally different now. So I'll see it in terms of, I don't see it as being about me. I see it more about the context of, of something else or someone else. So it might be the wrong theme. It might be the wrong style it might not be the right time it it could be about so many number of things and instead of always going oh it's because I'm rubbish 
I just, I see it completely differently. I, I, I see it like just keep chucking it at the wall and something will happen. And I do have a very strong belief now that it is going to happen for me and that it is just a matter of time. And I definitely didn't have that in my 20s. I mean, I think I probably shared it with my gran. I didn't think, I don't think I shared anything with anybody. It's just terrified of someone saying, you're a rubbish writer. I, I just think that... Once you get over that hurdle of rejection, once you get over that, it's about me and it and it means so much. It makes it makes a big statement about the value behind my work. Once you get over that, it's brilliant. It's quite it's a pleasure. I like this idea that there's always something of mine in the universe waiting to like be rejected or not. So I'll always make sure there's something. I think Brenny Brown calls it in the arena. She's making sure there's something of mine out there in the arena and yeah if I'm doing that I'm winning it's not about the rejection it's am I out there and am I trying and am I aiming high and am I dreaming big yeah that's a really nice reframe I wonder is there a poem that you could read out for us yes love to I would love to can I share two Lauren I was just thinking I would share Blueprint of a House, which is about that moment you realise that you need to separate from a partner. And this Mm -hmm. one was written during COVID. This Blueprint of a House. It showed us our homes, upturned the spare bed and dragged hidden bills and fag lighters from the guff drawer. It sniffed like a dog behind the sofa for the lost, dirty pennies of days gone by. It snuck inside our underwear drawers, found holes in the gusset of pants, the never-worn stockings, and yanked out the dust of chest hairs and ponytails of one lost glove from beneath the radiator. It locked the door and said, here is the shower that leaks, this is the window that doesn't shut easily, the crack in the ceiling growing, the stair that creaks, this is you, this is me. Okay, I'll read another poem. It's called Bringing Twigs. And this was me. I was on benefits at the time um, when we separated. And it just seemed like this impossibility that I could stay in the community I'd created with my son, that I could ever have enough money to pay the bills or just survive. It just felt like the most impossible thing. Um, And I was sitting in my garden working on some sums when I wrote this one. It's called Bringing Twigs. I watched them both from my chair in the yard, noisy, shrieking commands as they weave a nest in my neighbour's gutter. One glides whilst the other fusses, pecking each new twig into place together. I watched them preparing and looked down at my solo scribbles of mortgage calculations and utility bills, the little sums that feed us, that etch themselves in frown lines between my brows. One day I'll tell you that I built a home for you, from pure fight, tired nights, my own needs buried deep in the ground so that one day it would grow as a life. These are the twigs I bring you. We will build a home with these. Just small, found things stitched together to cradle us from the storm. So what would you say to women listening who want to write? Because I agree with you, I think there is a boat inside all of us. And there are several women I know who have gone through our bond programme and have graduated calling themselves a poet, having shown up, never written anything before. 
because I really do believe that when you can drown out your critical voice and your self-judgment and give yourself permission to freely express yourself, amazing things can happen. So what would your advice be to women listening who heard your poem and thought, wow, I'd never be able to do anything like that or I wish I could do that. Where do I start? There's two there's two sides to it. I think a lot of it is giving yourself permission to make the space for it to write. I think in order to be a poet, there isn't an element of stillness that's needed to let it sort of come in. And I think women are so, particularly in this country, we're so we're just project managers in our houses, of our offices. We just take on all these roles for very little reward a lot of the time and so there is no stillness there's nobody often in our corner saying you need some time you need a day to write go for a walk what can I take off you and we don't give ourselves permission enough to have that either so I think somehow creating the permission to go no I need to do this even if it's just one morning a week and finding that stillness so that the magic can come in because it will find you if you've got stuff to write it will find you then I think it's about sharing it because I wouldn't like to think any other woman would make the mistake I did and I love that I've made this mistake now but I wouldn't want anyone else to repeat it which is I just had so much to share and I just sat on it sat on it for like 15 20 years without sharing it and so the way I did that was I, I called them my committee. I created a group of people around me that felt trustworthy and authentic and were already saying, I really like what you do. It really touches me. So I know they were like, they were genuine supporters from the get-go. And it started out really gently. I would just send out a little newsletter. I still do. I sent out a little newsletter to about 10 people and it would have a new piece of work. And it was great because it would make me write new work. And they would send me these beautiful things back, these beautiful supportive things about my writing. And the next step was getting on a stage and sharing with complete strangers. But I think just those gentle steps, find the space, If no one else is giving you permission, you tell people, I need to do this. Because I had a couple of mental health breakdowns because I wasn't doing it, Lauren. Sometimes it's like being creative. It's not just like, oh, it's really cute that you're a poet. It's like, it's almost quite dangerous to not be creative when you are a creative person. And I think Mm -hmm. women don't, we just don't give ourselves enough permission for any of it. And I have to say, I think there's a culture in this country of... I don't know how to phrase this, particularly with women with male partners. I think there's a kind of culture in this country of men are allowed to be kind of a little bit inept, like not very good at things. And so women just come in and just do it all a million things just so brilliantly. And so they just always expected to be brilliant, to do everything. And and so their dreams always get drowned out by everybody else's. And yeah, it breaks my heart that all the women in history that that happened to, that had all these stories to tell, that never got to tell them, that just were there kind of making sure dinner was on the table or fighting the laundry. And I know there are men out there, I'm with one right now, I know there are men out there that do it all and are incredible, but we need people on our side 
it's not just in the workspace that we need to fight for stuff. We need in our domestic spaces people to be in our corner, to be our cheerleaders, to be, I've got the kids or I'm walking the dog. You go and do what you need to do because you're amazing. Yeah, it's so, so, so important. And it's a pattern that I see in my spheres and communities and peer groups as well. And I think one of the things that I really love about our Global Bond community is that that serves as your committee. It's like part of what makes it your playground for confidence is that other women in there are so in your corner and on your side and want you to win. And, you know, part of what drives me every day to do the work that I do is thinking of all of the women right now who are sitting on creative work, business ideas, songs, poetry, novels, stories, medical breakthroughs and everything in between, and they are not being given oxygen. They are being starved and they're being hidden because that woman was taught that her ideas are not good enough. And that, you know, it gives me goosebumps every time I sit and pause and think about like what change would occur and how fast that change would happen if we could give those ideas oxygen. And I'm really grateful for your candor and your honesty about your home life and, you know, being on a place where you're in benefits, looking at a mortgage, thinking, how on earth am I going to make this work? Because these are the stories that we need to hear and these are the conversations we need to have. It's not just about work. It's very much about home. And I feel like we're getting smarter and more aware. We've got the language to talk about the workplace side of things, but we're not quite there yet with the domestic side. We're not. And it's something that I think about a lot. I think as well, even if it's not someone at home giving you space to be creative, maybe it's someone at home giving you space to rest. And with that rest, you can then go into work with more energy. You can then, you know, it's about energy again, what you can do with the energy. And also, you know, we talk a lot about dismantling systems that put up barriers for women in the workplace. It's more energy to put into that as well. Just that little bit of space and that little bit of extra energy for women, instead of just feeling like defeated. I mean, I was part of Bond 7, right? And I met so many amazing women. And like you say, they all have something burning inside them. And I found it quite heartbreaking as well, because... You know, there were so many women like, you know, there was literally babies hanging off boobs and you're just trying to do everything. And I just wanted to scream sometimes and go like, where the bleep is he? Or like, how was the Bond experience? Yeah, I loved it. I love the idea of courses as well, though, and like the infrastructure behind how you've written a course. I find it absolutely fascinating. But the whole principle of it really, really resonates strongly with me. I mean, I literally have boxing gloves on for it, you know, just. Is there one thing that you got out of it that really stuck with you or created a change for you? Or I think it was the meeting of other women, particularly other parents. I was in the parents' carers group and just seeing how there's so much optimism in the women I met, but they are knackered. And we're never going to, we're never going to rule the world if we're knackered. Like, if we're not prioritised. We need to get that on a T-shirt. 
speaking of knackered, which yeah. is not a phrase that all our listeners will be familiar with. Oh, sorry. <laughs> from different parts of the world. No, no apologies. But I wanted to talk about accents because you and I mm. both have regional accents, yep. northern accents. And yeah, I would just love to hear your perspective on that because it's something that comes up in every single bond. It's something that I talk about a lot. I've done a lot of work on my relationship with my own accent from going to, you know, frantically Googling how can I find elocution lessons? How can I change my voice? to being probably stubbornly I refuse to change my voice in any circumstances for anyone but I know it's something that really holds people back and you know sometimes that's because I think in the context of the UK our accent can reveal our class and the socio-economic status that we grew up in for others, it can reveal that English is not their first language. And so that can bring shame or fear of judgment or other, you know, hindering ideas. Yeah, what you got to say about accents? I've always been quite proud of my accent. I did have an experience, though. I worked at Radio 4 in Edinburgh for a bit and... I felt a little dismissed, maybe. I feel like it was people assume stuff about my class a little. I actually was brought up in a fairly middle-class background, a fairly middle-class family, but so fairly, very. That My mum and dad were, my mum definitely was not from a middle-class background, but I was certainly brought up in that. But I think people do make presumptions about you according to your accent. And I think the meeting of Radio 4 and Edinburgh, there was a lot of judgment in that. But I think I kind of enjoyed it. I think it like poked me in the right way. Yeah, I was going to say at uni as well, I did. I used to get mocked a little bit for, I would walk into a room and people would go, by heck, it's fee, you know, and like sort of mock mock my accent. But I've, I've found it quite warm. It's never been, and if people want to make judgments about me, I feel like that's okay. I'll surprise them then, won't I? I guess that's my attitude. I lived in America yes. for a little bit as well. And so I really held on to the accent too because it would have been quite easy to pick up a little bit of a twang but I think I was quite like no this is where I'm from you know what I mean yeah I think if you're listening and you feel self-conscious about your accent I hope that this can be a gentle nudge for you just to just give your accent some love just give your voice some care and heart and recognize that it's such a unique special part of you I think it adds colour and character to us and it adds to people's uniqueness, doesn't it? So my last question that I want to ask you, Fee, is when Upfront achieves its mission of supporting one million women, how will the world be different from your vantage point? I mean, women have so much to be confident about and I just we're just we're so not there yet. Evidently we're not there yet. I think obviously I like to think it would feed into the way the world is run that women are going to be in higher positions, making more instrumental decisions. But really, I think you've gathered what I'm most preoccupied about is the domestic sphere. And I just don't see all of that changing until we've figured out the domestic space and the dynamic that we play in that. And I think a lot of, I think Generation X and millennials have been very impacted by that. But I'm starting to see, I work with a lot of younger women and I'm starting to see that they aren't going to take that. There's a lot more pushback. 
they've kind of been brought up with that, putting that theory into practice of, yeah, I'm going to do great things. There does seem to be something that isn't taking on these narratives of being small and being helpful and being kind in the same way that I think our generations did. So I hope in a way that in kind of 10, 20 years, they put you out of a job, Lauren. I hope that it's not needed, that women are born with these strong opinions about who women are. It certainly wasn't the culture when we were younger. You know, I wasn't even allowed to play football because women weren't strong enough or, you know, just wasn't a thing. There's a lot of change. So, yeah, I think from that, I think from changing the domestic sphere and having women who can say, I'm a priority in this household and I need time and I need space and we all need to work together as a team to make that space for me. I think then that's when you start to see systemic change in terms of the workspace and world leadership. I think it starts at home, but I think it's coming. I think we're all damn sick of it. Well, thank you so much for this conversation, Fee. Thank you for sharing your poetry. It's been great to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Upfront Moment. Before I say goodbye, I want to remind you to follow Upfront on Instagram and join the other 5,000 women all over the world who get our weekly newsletter. Go to weareupfront.com to find out more. Bye, friend. I'll see you on Monday for your next Upfront Moment.